Guys, welcome to another episode of the Superior Man podcast. I am honored here today to be with my man, Elliot Hulse. And today we're going to go really deep into masculinity and what it means to actually be a masculine man. And obviously, Elliot has been doing a lot of work recently with guys, specifically with his grounding camp, is it? Correct. Um, teaching guys how to actually really tap in to their masculine essence. So uh, for people who don't know who Elliot is, I want you to just give a quick background information as to who you are, what you teach, and what you're all about. I am a strong man, a strong man, strength coach, father to four, and father figure to millions of men worldwide. Awesome. I like that answer. Cool. Um, so what is behind your masculinity empowerment? What is your message behind, uh, everything that you've been really digging deep into and teaching guys how to become more masculine? Well, that's multifaceted, but one big part of it is this process of initiation that our ancestors understood was critical for the development of the mature masculine. And to just put it in a nutshell, there are two critical components that are necessary for a man to find his place in society. And that first step is a movement away from the world of the mother. And so that looks like a lot of different things, but because we lack that in our world today, we have a lot of men who are overly dependent on women, um, have an inappropriate attachment to their mothers still. Uh, and then the atonement with the world of the father and again you know we, we're sorely lacking in this world today where father energy is sorely lacking and what that also means and has always meant for young men and the elders that brought them into the world into the new world into the uh, the realm of the father was establishing a sense of legacy and eternal meaning and this is where religion began and started to come into, you know, come into effect because, um, you know, all, most religions, I would say all, are created by men. And uh, at least in, with the Abrahamic religions, we refer to God the Father. Mm. And, uh, you know, the word father is, comes from the root of pater, you know, like paternity, pattern, which is uh, also synonymous with archetype. And so it is, this, it is this righteous pattern, way to be, that is passed on from the fathers to the sons. Okay, awesome. Um, I'm just curious, like, where do you think this problem comes with men that they are attached to their mother figures and they can't let go of that? Where does that come from? Because there's no formal break from the mother. Uh, that's one big part of it. And I think there is actually an overemphasis over emphasis on attachment to the material world. You know, I mentioned er earlier that uh, the word father comes from pattern, which is spiritual. Pattern is spiritual. P pattern is not an actual thing, you know, like a, uh, a blueprint isn't the actual thing. Uh, pattern is about a blueprint. Father is about the blueprint. The, the mother, maternity is about the matter, the matter world, the world of matter, the maya, as they might say in, in Hinduism. And so there's this, there's this tremendous overattachment to sensation, emotion, money, things, 
the, the world of illusions, the, the world of matter. Uh, and so that's, I, I, there's an agenda to keep us trapped in the, in the realm of the material. And that's why religion is so denigrated in our world today. And, you know, uh, money has become our, has become our God. Uh, so that's a big part of the reason why that break doesn't happen. Um, also, by keeping a young man attached to the, 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 the needing for validity for mommy uh, keeps him very feminized and unable to stand in his true strength, aggression, and masculinity because he doesn't want to do anything that mama wouldn't want him to do, you know? <laughs> in, uh, particularly with the Cherokee Indians of, the, of, no, of North America, uh, I remember re reading in Iron John by Robert Bly how once there was a break from the mother, and once there was that initiation process, for a good number of years, the boy wasn't even allowed to talk to his mother. And he would have to talk to his mother through his sister. And it was noted that these men were very vital and virulent and, and uh, women's men. Let me put it that way. You know, they were... They, they very much knew how to be with women because they no longer had that, that guilt and that shame and that mommy boy attitude that pervades so many families now that keeps fathers weak and dependent and acting like one of the children with their wives. Right. So a lot of guys who follow me, they want to become better with women specifically. That's like the biggest reason why they actually uh, take my advice. So what would be the first step for a young man to take to actually start to break that bond with, um, with that motherly figure? Well, it, it comes in a myriad of different ways. Of course, physically, we need to move away from our mother. Mm -hmm. So if you're wanting to be a man better with women, you can't live with your mommy. <laughs> right. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Right. You know, it's not good for anybody. So, you know, a lot of times that looks like moving out. You, you got to move out. You got to get out of your home. There's a certain time when a man needs to get the hell out of his mom's house. I don't care how hard it is out there. Live in your freaking car. Just do it. That's, a, that's one big step of initiation, doing your own initiation. Um, but it goes beyond that because, you know, everything that's physical has a metaphysical correlate. And so one of the ways that I learned uh, by listening to uh, Jesse Lee Peterson, who I think is amazing, he makes YouTube videos, uh, is to forgive the mother. And so you can release all emotional attachment to the mother. If you have anger towards your mother or, you know, because we often think like, well, you know, I, I'm not attached to my mom because I'm angry. Well, that means that the, you do have an attachment. You have an emotional attachment and anger is a very strong bond. And uh, one of the things he likes to say, I don't know how true it is, but, you know, who, who, whoever you're angry with, you tend to take on their nature. And, you know, you see that with like, you know, haters online, you know, because I get a lot of those too. And uh, they're hating at me. And if I, if I get angry and, and retaliate back, well, I'm taking on their nature. Mm. And so, you know, you can see it there and it may not be super obvious. It took me some time to actually see that in myself where, you know, the anger that my, that my mother had, I took on. <laughs> and so uh, it wasn't until, you know, I was much older and I, and I started to get a grip on on my life and who I am and masculinity that I was able to distance myself uh, by forgiving my mother and understanding that she's flesh and bone blood, just like the rest of us. And she had her wounds and her, her 
issues as a child. She was a great mother to me, but um, being able to, 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 to not need mommy's approval uh, and take on her nature is uh, liberating. You need to do it. Right. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, one of the things that I do with people who start working with me when they want to actually meet women is I do something called belief system training. It's, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, uh, discovery trainings by next level trainings, the, a guy named Chris Lee, he, he does it. So I remember the first time I did that, um, I was just like crying when we were doing the closed eye process. Cause I realized how much resentment I had towards my mother and like the things that she did to me in the past yeah. that I hadn't let go of it. And it was manifesting with the way that I was moving about my life. And so a lot of the guys that, that come to me, I notice that there's a clear pattern where they have resentment towards their mother or their fathers. And because they're not able to let go of that, uh, they haven't been able to actually grow and meet the one that they want. So I'm just yeah. curious, what do you think is, um, for a young guy who may be listening to this, they want to actually have an amazing woman in their life. What do you recommend to them? Do you recommend that they focus straightly on their careers or they focus on their path or uh, what's the thing that they should actually be doing? Oh, well, there's a lot going on there and you hit on some pretty good points. So you got to build yourself up and know your value first. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, after learning about Rolo Tomasi and, uh, and the rational male, this whole concept of the, the mating schedule and how most men don't, men don't reach their sexual market value till about 35, you know, 32, 35. And so, you know, what are you doing all that time? And the best thing to be doing in all that time is to be building your career, building your business, building your mind, building yourself, becoming, becoming, becoming. So when you hit that peak, you know, I'm not saying you need to wait till you're 35 to get women, but just know that you want to, you want to maximize that rise. And so, yeah, you want to know that you're the prize. You want to build yourself up so that in your, in your life, but also in your mind that you don't need a woman. I actually think this whole MGTOW movement is kind of a good idea because a big part of our overattachment to, to sex and to women uh, come from this neediness for mommy. Mm. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very emotional. It's very beta. It's very feminized. And so the, the greatest position a man can take is to not need sex. I don't need a woman's sex. I don't need your sex. Not to be attached to the sensuality of sex. Sex does nothing for you. I even want to go so far as to say that sex is a weakness because it really is. What, besides hypnotizing you into needing women, what else does it do for you? You know, you make babies. Okay, cool. But you don't need it. And the more you can kind of get that, control your primal urges, there's, there's so much profound, uh, there's, there's, it's very profound to practice sexual transmutation. So a lot of these guys that are no fapping, I even think that's a good right. idea. So you got to break this, this sex, sexual neediness. And I'm not against sex. That's not the point. It's the neediness, it's the attachment to it that's super important. Right, right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I actually did a Vipassana retreat about two years ago, which is like a 10-day silent meditation retreat. And while you're there, they have these five precepts. And one of them being that you have to abstain from all sexual activities. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I did it, I was just like, 
it was just this strong urge to want to have to like always fap. And I realized that this, this thing was just like really, really holding on to me. I had no control over it. And a lot of the guys who, who I also help, like, it's like this, this addiction that they have towards sex that's really controlling their behaviors on a day-to-day basis. So let's say a guy has a girl right now in his life, right? Let's say they have a girlfriend or a wife, whatever it may be. What do you think is the number one way that he should go about his relationship in order to not only maximize his masculinity, but also be making sure that the relationship is going in a positive route and it's actually growing and it's healthy for him? Well, I'm going to risk sounding sexist here, but this is just the nature of the sexes and that men are to see women as an addition to their life where women often see, you know, this is just their nature. Relationship is the most important thing to them. For men, mission is important first and it should be that way. And relationship is second. So she's an addition to you. Now, (laughs) one of the things my dad likes to say is that you don't need a useless woman. Don't get a useless woman. And so, you know, a useless woman is a woman that looks good but can't cook. What do I have you for, he would often say. He's <laughs> the best, he's the, he's the most alpha guy I know. And so, you know, my, it's my mom. My mom's a great woman. She cooks, she works, she cleans, she's, she's a good woman. But he would constantly remind us not to, not to get engaged with a, with a, a sexy, long-legged, beautiful woman that can't add anything to your life. So she, she has to, she's a utility. What are you here for? Why do I have you besides sex? And so you, when you start looking at a woman in that way, she then it's almost like taking on a business partner. And that's, in a lot of ways, that's the way I looked at it with my wife. I was like, okay, you're a good teammate. You're a good business partner. She's willing to t- play this role and to, and to fulfill these necessities within the family and to do these things. And I'll do my part. And we go far in both of our directions. Uh, it was our commitment to keep her home with the children. The mother should be the primary hair- caretaker of the children. There's no question about it. Um, and so in order to do so, I had to be the breadwinner. And we were very willing to live meager lives, not to, to live very minimally. Um, you know, things turned out different for me. Thank you. But uh, we were very, like, we had the conversations about turning off the electricity because we just don't have the money. But she, but she was just not going to go to work because she was going to fulfill her maternal role, her maternal instinct. And, uh, and to this day, you know, my children are a lot older, but she's a, a great caretaker. She cooks a great dinner for us every night. She drives the kids back and forth to their activities and to school. Um, she takes good care of me. She takes good care of the home. And, uh, and that, that makes her a valuable asset to me in my life. Now, of course, I love her. I love her consciously. I love her with my heart. I love her for eternity. And I love sex with her. But she's a good partner. She's a good teammate. Mm, okay. So uh, just touching on the topic of love, what define like what masculine love actually means when you're actually with a woman? What does love mean because we hear this term love thrown around a lot but and a lot of guys want it they're like oh i want to have a love in my life but what does it actually mean to be uh in an essence where you are masculine love with the woman that you're actually with well the first thing you got to know is that romantic love is feminized and it it's it's a it's a trick we've been disney fied into 
that you need to feel all these feelings and be head over heel and all gushy and weird. Uh, that's not necessary. That's usually lust. And that's usually a byproduct of having sex. And I put sex in that same sort of category of romantic love. Masculine love is a rational love. Masculine love is, like I say, is, uh, is very conscious, meaning that I don't need anything from you, right? Romantic love is needy and emotional. Conscious love is a free love. I don't, I don't own you. You don't own me. I don't need you. You don't need me. But I'm choosing. There's very much, I've chosen you. And so with that comes looking at the relationship, again, with a bit more of a, uh, a business mindset. And I don't want to reduce everything to business, but I think most of us can kind of relate to that. Meaning like we've got to be logical about why we're together, what we're doing. And look, you're a woman, as, as is the case with you as a man, your looks are going to fade. <laughs> looks are going to fade. Sex is going to fade. Excitement's going to fade. These people who fall out of love, it's because they were never really in love to begin with. They weren't, it wasn't masculine love. You were just lusting. And now, all, now that all the emotion is gone and all the good feelings and the gushy feelings are gone, you're like an addict who you know, needs, needs a stronger drug. So you got to leave this woman and go get another, either get a new high. I need a new high from a new woman right. or a stronger drug. You're, you don't fall out of love when you love rationally. You know that certain feelings are going to wax and wane. But I'm, masculine love is a commitment. It's a discipline. It's a devotional love. That's the big difference. Devotional so over emotional. So how, how do you know when you've chosen the actual right woman? Because like the way you kind of explain it, it's a devotional, logical, rational love. Um, and you choose to be with that woman. But how do you choose which woman that you want to actually be with so that you can be, you know, in this logical state of love? Like I said before, check her out like you would be hiring somebody. <laughs> you know, if you're going to hire somebody for your business, <laughs> right? You got to vet her. So you got to vet this woman and like, you got to straight up ask questions that you would ask somebody that you're going to hire. Like, you know, and here's the thing. The man is the leader in the relationship. Don't let the relationship just kind of take its course. You know that if you want to have children and you want to marry this woman, that there's a certain way that you need her to be. And you got to ask questions, you know, and I'm not judging what that looks like for you. Everybody's different. But uh, for me, is this woman a good caretaker? you know, see how she is with other children. You know, there's, there are these women who have absolutely no maternal instinct whatsoever. They're just selfish. And so, you know, we call them cat ladies because they can't get along with people. So all they deal with is, is freaking cats and animals. Misplaced maternal instinct. They don't even know how to be with babies. It, it's weird, but we've got a lot of that today because people are so detached. Uh, do you, do you, is it required that you have a home-cooked meal every day? I think that's a good thing. You know, so when you're going to choose a woman, you got to get past the emotion and you got to get past the, the illusion of looks. Now there's a certain amount, there's a certain vitality and health that you want your woman to have. Like there, you absolutely do not want a fat wife. You don't know, you don't want a fat woman. Yeah. There, <laughs> that is, that's, that's lazy. That's shameful. That's, um, 
it's gross. You do, <laughs> that's basic, you know, like I'm a strength coach. So I, that's like, it's pretty basic. You don't have to have, you know, crystal blue eyes and long blonde hair and thick, beautiful lips. Uh, those are nice things, but you got to be a good teammate. You got to be a good hire. You, and uh, as far as being fat is concerned, you got to be healthy. If we're going to be having children, you got to be able to handle being pregnant. And, you know, a lot of these, these fat women are toxic. So they get pregnant and they, they get fatter. They get sicker. They can't get out of bed. And then it's a downhill, it's a downhill roll from there. I, I, I it was with a friend that I knew many years ago. She's a woman. And, uh, you know, it's, you know we're, we're all in our late 30s and 40s now. And I ain't seen her in a couple of years. And, you know, I see her now and I'm like, hey, this, yeah, you look horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and the dude that married her, he didn't, she didn't look like that when they got married. And I'm like, um, it, it, it's about health, but it's also about self-respect and it's about respect for your partner. So I know I kind of went, went on a little ta tangent there, but you, you got to be sexually attracted, of course. Right. Um, but that is secondary to, is this a good hire? Is it a good hire? That, that's a good way. Of, yeah, I always tell my girlfriend too. My my buddy was telling me the other other day I'm being too harsh on her because I told her that if she gets fat, then we can't be together. But I, I feel like it has nothing to do with the actual fat itself, but also the fact that the person, if if they can't respect themselves enough to be fit and healthy, how are they going to respect me when I'm actually in the relationship with them? Yes. So I'm just curious. Um, let's say someone is in a relationship, they've chose the right person, uh, but sometimes they're having uh, emotional fights. Like this is something that I was facing with like a few months ago where I would, with my girlfriend, we would always have these almost like ego battles where she would say like, this is your fault. And I would say, this is your fault. How should a man in his masculine presence be with a woman when she is maybe being super emotional or throwing a fit or whatever they may, that may be, or should she even be with her in the first place? <laughs> well, I learned this new term as I got red pilled earlier this year uh, <laughs> called shit tests <laughs> and women will shit test. I have three daughters and they shit test me. <laughs> right. And they do it unconsciously because they want to know that you're strong. They want to know that you're firm. They want to know that you're trustworthy so that they can relax into their femininity. So a man is to be like a mountain where a woman is like the wind and it's okay. It's normal and natural. They should be that way. But if you let the wind, you, if you're, you're not a mountain, if you're letting the wind carry you away. Mm. And so, you know, allow her to be, shit testing you but to pass those shit tests you have to emotion is always associated with water women water even air you know very very moving always right. moving you never know the depths of it you never know where it's going to go next so um when when you're feeling emo when she triggers you and you're starting to feel emotion just visualize that mountain mm. Just visualize that mountain and be firm, be stoic, be unmoved. You know, I spent a lot of time teaching young how to cry and how to feel. And I think there's tremendous value in that because we've got a lot of trauma that gets trapped that keeps us hypnotized into the trauma. So I'm not against feeling, uh, I'm, but I'm against being overly attached to feeling. And when it comes to women, you, there's no room for your feeling. And I can't say, I got to be completely honest. I, 
I didn't know about this. And I, I can look back on, you know, more my beta days where like I'm, I get angry or I get jealous and like all these ridiculous un, unresourceful emotions. So um, if, if she's shit testing and, and, and be cognizant that it's a shit test also too. That's another, that's another thing that you got to remember um, when, when, when she starts acting up and you start getting triggered, just reframe it. Be like, ah, this is a shit test. <laughs> you ain't going to get me this time. <laughs> Colleen, and you know, she won't, women don't know that they're doing it. They're not doing it consciously. They're not being conniving. They're not really trying to hurt you. But what they're looking for is for, for validity and for safety in the relationship. And just, you know, last weekend, she wasn't too happy about something that I said to one of her friends because her friend was trying to shame me on some shit. And I was like, you ain't going to do that. You're not going to shame me. <laughs> And I put my fucking foot down right there in a the restaurant between the two of them. And, uh, and they, tried, they tried all kinds of tactics to get me to relent. And I was like, nope. And, you know, so she wasn't very happy. And we left. And we're walking. <laughs> and she shares her, her feelings about it with me. And, I, you know, I, I wanted to converse with her about it. But I realized very quickly, okay, this is going to turn emotional. And it's not, it's not going to be helpful at all. So I just let her have it. I just let her be with it. I'm like, okay, so you're upset. What's, what are we having for dinner? What are we doing next? Mm. You know, it's okay. You're upset. I acknowledge your, your, your upsetness, but I'm not going to fix it. I'm going to try to fix that for you. I'm not going to engage it, in it with you. <laughs> I'm give, give you a big hug and a kiss and we'll move on. Slap you on the butt. Let's go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. View, view it more as a complaint than, than an actual problem that needs to be solved, right? Mm-hmm. right yeah. yes yeah and we want to solve problems I, i'm a problem solver too so i want to fix it but there ain't no fixing it just just a lot just be with it right right okay so based on like uh today's society where most guys are doing online dating they're not even meeting women in, uh, in person and also kind of the egocentric women who have social media nowadays do you think that love and relationships is even possible or uh, a thing that you should be chasing based on today's day and age with hyper feminism and social media and online dating? Bro, I got to be completely honest. It's weird out there. And I'm so grateful that I didn't <laughs> grow up in this. And you know, it's, it, it has its pluses and minuses. It's a double-edged sword. Like it'd be cool to have had Tinder and Bumble. Like I could see how, <laughs> whoa like that's enticing remember it's it's sensual it's weakness because you're you're craving and you're needing sex but i could but it's yeah i could see the value um but at the same time it destroys our character and we're talking about women um i you know i I deal with a lot of young men and uh you know a lot of them are they get married or they have girlfriends and so, you know, I may know them as friends and, or if I follow their, their wives on uh, Facebook or Instagram or something like that. And they're taking like all these sexy selfies. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I don't know if I'd be okay with my wife doing that. I, and, but like the difference is we grew up without that. We grew up without Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so my wife moved, moved past that stage without having the temptation of Instagram and Bumble. And so, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, my wife ain't doing that shit. But these guys, you guys, you know, you're, you're dating women who got Instagram pages where they're doing booty shots. 
And so I don't know what the answer is, but I just know that I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> I'd either have to say, look, babe, you got to stop. And I see, like, I, I do see some women stop, you know, like there are some women I followed on Instagram and, uh, you know, fitness models and stuff. And, you know, I, I noticed, you know, they're taking sexy pictures. And then all of a sudden there's a picture with them and a boyfriend and they were far more conservative in their posts. And so I acknowledge that. And I'm like, okay, that's cool because you're not throwing your ass out there like a billboard every day on Instagram any longer because you respect yourself and you respect your man. Maybe when you're, maybe when you're putting the bait out there, okay, I get it. But um, n- not, when, not when you're with me. Why, why, do you think, why do you think that is that, that women in now, like in today's age, they have this, um, I don't know if it's a need, but they're putting their, themselves out there kind of like a billboard on social media and stuff like that. Because of the, we've got more relationships, i.e. friends and followers, with less depth than ever before. We've got all this breath and very little depth. And when that's the case, you, you got to put up, you got to say, hey, here I am. Mm. And so it's very shallow. And so that's another, you know, that's another, uh, another thing to look at. Like, you know, now that I'm speaking out about a lot of these things, people, you know, they call me misogynist and, you know, they, they say, oh, I bet Elliot just wants Colleen to, to, you know, be subservient and, and, you, and, and, you know, dumb, like just a dumb housewife. Uh, I always appreciate a woman of depth. And so, you know, if I, if, if I ever were to date again, which would never happen, you know, I, even my wife passed away, I'm done with women. <laughs> That's it. Did it. Did it. Had kids. I'm done. But if I ever were, I would be more interested in what she's saying. Like if, I, if it was through Instagram, like I'm, and I've always been this way, I'm far more attracted to a woman of depth a woman who has something to say, a woman who thinks. I like a, I like a strong woman, <laughs> as interesting as that may sound, you know? I want a strong woman who knows her place, but I want a, I want a, a well-cultured, thinking woman. And so I guess maybe the, one of the ways that you can, you can sort of vet, I, I don't even know if it's possible, a woman through Instagram is like the depth of what she's talking about. If she's, if, if she's talking about the Kardashians or just like dumb shit, then she's a dumb chick <laughs> right got some depth to her because she's writing some good posts and maybe you know maybe that would peak peak a good man's interest right right so i have a bunch of questions from i i went on my instagram and i asked like a bunch of people i was like hey if you guys have questions i'm about to uh hop on a call with elliot halls in about an hour so i have a bunch of questions if you would like to rapid fire answer these uh first one being what makes elliot happy Well, (laughs) that word happy. So I got a little, I have a little rant on happiness. The word happy actually comes from the word happen. And to be happy is to be present with what's happening. Mm. We kind of, it's, it's, we've emotionalized love. We've emotionalized being. And we emotionalize love through romantic love. We emotionalize being through happiness, this so-called happiness, which means that you've got an emo- there's emotional content there. It just keeps us beta-fied. It keeps us feminized. 
It's constantly searching for happiness. Are you happy? I need to be happy. Happy, 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 happy. It's bullshit. It's wrong. <laughs> There's, it's not about being ha- emotionally happy. It's about being present with what's happening. That's the truth of mm. happiness. Now, what stimulates my glands? <laughs> I like meat. <laughs> Man, I, you know, it's, I am more grateful when I sit down to a wonderful meal than anything. It's, it's weird for me, I guess. But like, I'm, I'm like having an orgasm when I'm eating like a really good ribeye steak. And like, and <laughs> Colleen and I, we're both the same. And we'll, we'll go to our favorite restaurant and like meal comes and we're just going, mm, 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 and looking at each other and shaking. So we take great pleasure. I guess that would be the word. What, what, what do I get pleasure out of? It would be pleasure, yeah. So what do you think about uh, talking about uh, happiness? What do you think about um, the, because you said like meat makes you happy. What do you think about the higher consciousness vegan movement that says, oh, you don't need meat and stuff like that? I know this conversation is going a complete opposite way, but. (laughs) I don't believe in that. I think meat is sacred. And our aunt, our ancestors believed that meat was sacred also too. And there's tremendous evidence that's surfacing now. If you study some of uh, what, what Paul Saladino is doing, MD, uh, that we, our digestive systems, our bodies, and there is evidence that our ancestors, because now they can do like, they can, you know, carbon dating. Well, they can test like the amount of nitrogen that are in the bones of mm. like, uh, of like uh, artifacts, you know, human artifacts, the old bones and shit, that they had to ate a high nitrogen diet. Human beings have always been a part of the cycle of life. And being a part of the cycle of life is honoring the sacrifice that we consume. So in order for us to live, the natives would, would you know, go into prayer processes and, and rituals and honoring the, the life that was given so that when we take it in, we also not only have gratitude for the animal, which I think is very important. I think it's important for us to be great. Like, that's why I'm saying when I'm, when I'm eating that food and I'm yumming, and I, I'm, I'm thinking, thank you, thank you, thank you. This food is nourishing me on multiple different levels, but also an intention for what am I going to do with this nourishment? How am I taking in this sacrifice to provide, like the cycle of life? I'm taking in life so that I can produce life, not just mm. make, but produce life. I'm taking in this vitality so that I can share more with the world. I can do more with the world. And so to me, eating meat is very religious. It is, is deeply religious and deeply spiritual. Mm. Yeah, I, I highly agree with that. I was actually vegan for about four years. Um, gave it up like about this year just because I noticed so many different bodily effects and as soon as i started eating meat i was like energy spiked back up sex drive spiked back up it was like everything was amazing um so going back on the topic of being present for guys who are younger what do you think is the best way for them to actually be present so that they can create uh or actually be in a happy state through presence well you've got to be wary of your thoughts and your emotions stillness is the key or stoicism and it doesn't mean don't think and it doesn't mean don't feel but as it says in the bible hold each thought in captivity meaning don't believe your own thoughts too quickly 
You want to discern because a lot of the voices in our head are not our voices. They come from media. They come from demons. When I say demons, you know, in, in the literal sense that there are traumas that are unresolved from experiences in this lifetime and perhaps other lifetimes that come up and they're unresourceful and they're degrading and demeaning and, uh, and, and ungrounding. And so to be like that mountain that allows the clouds, I mean, the, the mountain is not saying, the mountain doesn't stand there and shoo the clouds away or get angry about the clouds. The mountain just stays there as the clouds pass right through, right through that mountaintop. The, the clouds just pass right through. So you could think of, of emotion and thoughts as these things are just passing through. And when you, can, when you can objectify and not be attached to your thoughts and your emotions, there's nothing left but to be. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually did... Um... Like I said, the last year I did the Vipassana retreat and I remember sitting down and for once having, uh, being able to listen to my subconscious mind because while you're there, they do two types of meditation, Anapana and Vipassana. And with Anapana, it's basically focusing on the breath so that your conscious mind, the, the thoughts that are up here starts to subside. And then Vipassana is really tapping into the body so that you can see what pain bodies that you have so that you can overcome them through presence. And I remember I was sitting and I was just feeling all these thoughts that were coming up subconsciously and realizing that I, who I was, was way, way more than just these thoughts alone. It's not like my actual identity through these thoughts. So what is an actual technique or something practical someone can do to actually tap themselves into that presence? Well, we would call that state meditation. And so, you know, we, we talk about thoughts, we talk about feelings, but we've got, we've got four modes. We've got thinking, feeling, doing, and being. And so uh, these four modes of being can be divided into what Carl Jung describes as the quadrated psyche. And there are archetypes that are, you know, psyche is, an, is, is the archetype, you know, the unknown, the unseen. And so uh, Robert Moore took those four modes of being or, 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 or parts of the quadrated psyche and matched them up with recurrent masculine archetypical themes throughout all of history. And so we've got the warrior, which is about doing. We've got the lover, which is about feeling. We've got the magician, which is about thinking. But the most mysterious and the, and the one that eludes us most is the king. And the king is about being. And so when you say to be, the very first thing most men will, will think, <laughs> right? And then we go right into our magician, is what am I going to do? And we go right into our warrior. And so being is literally, it, it's, It's not doing, let me go from that point, it's not doing anything. You know, when we think about meditation, the very first thing people are, well, what do I do? Well, it's <laughs> not a doing. <laughs> That's the trick. It's non-doing. It's, it's doing a non-doing. 
And so it's being able to sit, mm. to be present, and to be okay with whatever is. And non-judgment, because that's the thinking. Not judging, not having a, an opinion about things, not allowing the anxiousness in the muscular system to drive us to need to do something. Mm. Yeah? And not having any feelings about it. Mm. Okay. So it's more of a... It, it's more of an emptying process than anything. Right. And I've seen a lot of your videos on, on bioenergetics and really tapping to the body through that. What does Elliot do in order to get into that state of presence through active meditation? Well, so active meditation takes on many different forms. And I've learned about active meditation first through Osho. Mm. But today I would like, and we use active meditation in grounding camp and I, and grounding camp is my, uh, my offer of male initiation rites of passage. And, uh, so we use a lot of active meditation because they're challenging. And one of the things that we know about the Western mind and Osho spoke about this is that we're anxious and our bodies are tense. And the only way to get people to relax is to, is to, is to spend them. Be spent. That's why people, you know, become addicted to exercise and things like that. It's like they can't relax until they go jog for three miles. That's mm -hmm. kind of like an act of meditation. You get into the zone. So if you, if you know like a, um, like a basketball player, like when he's in the zone, he's very active. Man. He's bow, bow, hitting three-pointers, hitting three-pointers, hitting three-pointers, bang, 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 bang. Very, very active, but he's not thinking. He's not there. He's literally turned off his ego and God is moving through him in a way. And so active meditation is a means to actively get into a state of non-being. And so it, it's an experience. But uh, I also practice uh, sitting meditation. And I have found over the past you know, decade and a half that by using Holosync or binaural beats, frequencies uh, and just you know simply listening to them they put me into that meditative state and uh and the more i do that the more i can access that meditative state throughout the day it's called brainwave entrainment mm -hmm. and uh and it's a it's a modern scientific way to get into deep states of meditation All right you, you tapped on god there and you said uh that you know some basketball players when they're playing they're, they're tapping through god so what do you think god is like what is your definition of god <laughs> well it's interesting that our ancestors would not dare mouth the word god <laughs> yahweh it's like a breath you don't even say it there, there is people today that will even like not even write the word they'll write g dash d because uh, as Lao Tzu puts it in the Tao Te Chung, the Tao that can be described is not the true Tao. The God that can be described is not the real God. And so it's almost a silly thing to even start trying to talk about. God is not something that we can, we can prove. It's something that's experienced. It's almost like a fish that's swimming in water, right? Fish is all swimming in water. They're all swimming in water, not thinking about the water that they're breathing and swimming in. And, uh, and, and one fish says to the other fish, hey, you know, um, there's, this, there's this water stuff, and it's all around us, and it's inside you too. 
<laughs> and the fish who's always been in the water and everybody's been in the water. He doesn't know anything but the water. Here's this guy, this other fish talking about this water shit. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Because we're so deep in it and it's running through us that we can't separate ourselves without, uh, from it without, uh, without suffocating. Like you want that fish to know about water? Pull him up out of the water <laughs> and then put him back in and he'll, he'll realize like, what the fuck was that? Most people, experience, their first experience of God is like a near death experience or some deep trauma where it's like, <gasps> I had like a separation from my essence. Mm. And, that, and then that contrast allowed me to see, and then all of a sudden that person becomes religious. <laughs> right. So God is, is an experience. God is not something to be talked about or to theorize. That's theology. Real religion is, is an experience. Right, right. It's funny that you brought up the uh, example of the fish. I was just listening to um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, and he was talking about that same exact, exact example. It was awesome. So uh, next question we had was, who are your favorite YouTubers? Oh, <laughs> it's funny. I only recently started watching YouTubers. So uh, I mean, it changes depending on my interests. But I really like Simland. Simland, he makes uh, videos about fasting on autophagy and ketogenic diets. Really like his stuff. Um, I also like Dr. Steve Turley. He does um, news events uh, and, and highlights conservative trends in the news. So uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy watching his videos. Um, I always still listen to Alan Watts videos. So, you know, like today I listened to an Alan Watts video. He's talking about the way of the shaman. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of go in and out. I, I, I've been watching uh, Cole. Cole, the, the snake juice guy, the, the, the snake diet. He talks about snake fasting. Diet. You know, I'm really into fasting these days. So I watch a lot of things that are associated with fasting and ketogenic diet. I have been uh, working to heal myself of some autoimmune responses I'm getting to foods that I'm eating. And I know it because when I fast, I don't have these skin issues. And, uh, and I'm finding that a carnivore diet, it, I kind of knew this. I was like, when I, when I fast, I don't have any problems. And when I eat meat, I don't have any problems. But the minute I start eating like certain vegetables, and I don't know which ones they are yet, but if I eat vegetables, if I eat nuts, if I eat anything else besides meat and eggs, I start having problems. So, you know, I've been digging this, this, this carnivore movement lately. And so um, Dr. Paul Saladino he recommends following a, uh, a, a nose to tail, he calls it. I say ruder to tutor, <laughs> uh, a carnivore diet where you, you know, you're not just eating muscle meat because you'll lack, you can lack. Um, but you can get away with not eating vegetables. We've been taught all our life. And that's why I guess I was brainwashed into believing that I need to eat fucking vegetables. Um, you, don't, you actually don't need vegetables. And in fact, according to his research, there's a lot of evidence that, uh, that eating vegetables is, is actually damaging to the physiology, that there are a lot of uh, natural pesticides that are inborn, that are in the vegetables, that, uh, that can cause many people to react poorly, and I happen to be one of them. So, so these, are the, these are the things I'm interested in lately. So those are the, you know, the things I, I look at. It's interesting you say that because uh, I've been reading this book recently by Dr. Josh Axe. It's called Eat Dirt. Um, nice. 
because I, I started having some autoimmune issues coming up when I was on a vegan diet because I was eating so much car starchy carbohydrates and like lots of man-made fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. And as soon as I started eating meat, like brain fog gone, my skin is looking healthier, like everything like that. So uh, this book is like amazing. And I went to my doctor and he also gave me a list of like vegetables that I shouldn't eat, vegetables that I can't eat uh, that are good for your gut and some that are actually not bad, not good for your gut that people say are good for your gut right it's like really bad for you um so that was like interesting as well so next question was uh what to do what to do when you are being emotional well first thing to do is recognize it you know that's a part of being is to see it you got to objectify it otherwise become hypnotized so the emotion rises <laughs> and you got to be able to see that it's emotion. It's physical. It might even be helpful for you to notice where in your body you're feeling that energy moving. That's what emotion is. Like, so for me, I know I get it right in the solar plexus. That's the first place I begin to recognize that I'm feeling something, my belly and my solar plexus. So as, as those organs begin to tighten, I'm like, okay. I have an emotional response right now. I can objectify it. I can pinpoint it and I can not be hypnotized by it. Mm. And then, you know, it's very different than repression, but because, because we live in a world where a lot of times, emo, especially when you're a child and you don't know how to be objective. Uh, and so there are a lot of traumas get trapped in the body that remain there in an unconscious way. And so you have, you carrying around anger, but you don't even know it. And it, it, it manifests itself in what Wilhelm Reich called neurotic holding patterns. And so uh, Wilhelm Reich created a, uh, a form of therapy that you could call it neo-Reichian therapy, but it was further uh, built upon by Alexander Lowen and he called it uh, bioenergetic analysis. And so you can find out by analyzing someone in their posture and in the way they breathe to see where and what kind of emotion they're holding on to in a repressed way in the body uh, from, you know, old experiences, you know, things that they're just unresolved. And so bioenergetics is a mean by which we can sort of tap into, learn about, and then purge, which is really the most important part. Psychoanalysis is useless in my opinion. It's mm -hmm. all about telling stories and reliving ideas. It's way too ideological. I think it's better to, to be mythological and physiological. And so, um, you know, with a real bioenergetic analyst, you know, it's really analyzing how your physiology is responding to holding these emotions and then going right to the body to release it. And that may come in the form of a massage um, and, uh, uh, various breathing exercises that work out, uh, and, you know, uh, dislodge and release that emotion. Most of it is associated with, uh, of the breathing, the breathing wave. And so, um, you know, deep breathing and things of that nature often dislodge it. Mm. So I, no I noticed for myself that whenever I feel, I, I mostly feel emotions of anxiety the most consistent. So I feel it mostly in my chest and in my, in my stomach. And also I notice around here is always really tight. So 
for someone like that, what would you tell them? What would you give me as advice? Well, when we perform a, an exercise called open front breathing, which I've taught in even some of my YouTube videos, where we lay on our back, open the mouth up wide, and then we breathe, I say breathe into your balls. And that basically just means breathe way down into your pelvic floor so that your belly expands, particularly down there by the pelvic floor, you know, like between those two bones, your AS, ASIS. Um, and, and, and really, there should even be a movement in the perineum, your anus. Mm. If you're really breathing deep, it goes right down into your pelvic floor. And so there are three, three spots that most people get blocked and it's the belly that holds down sexual feelings that's where all of our our vitality really is all, and when i say sexual energy i'm not just talking about screwing i'm talking about all of your life force all of your vitality and then the second place is like you said the belly chest the solar plexus region and then the third place is the throat so I often, when I'm working with someone and helping them achieve that deep breathing wave, that orgastic wave, I say, I just remind them, belly, heart, throat. And so there should be a wave, belly, heart, fill the chest, fill the lungs, throat, open the throat. Because the throat often holds a lot of tension right here too. All right. So... Think about, you know, opening your mouth. A lot of times it's helpful to stick out your tongue. And think about creating a wide tube mm. in your throat right down to your belly. Mm. Okay. So next and last question we have is how to live red-pilled in a blue-pilled world in regards to women. I'm not sure what that means, but... <laughs> <laughs> well... The very first thing is awareness, you know, and so I don't know if that's your question, but to be red pill aware is to take off the blue pill glasses. Mm -hmm. And that is to see uh, our sexual nature as men and women for what they really are without any judgment. I think one of the terms that they use is red pill rage. <laughs> when you discover the whole thing has been a farce, you've been <laughs> lied to and manipulated, uh, people get angry. And so uh, to, to be red pill means that you're returning to your nature. And so you, if you're getting emotional, you're, 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 you're giving right into the emotionality that's associated with keeping you blue pill. So don't, don't allow yourself to get, of course, you'll feel the emotion, but don't grow angry and resentful. That's a, you know, a warning against that. Just be aware, just be able to see. And you'll start noticing all around you where the narrative just has taken deep hold of people's consciousness. And they're walking around basically in a hypnotic state. And then to live red pill is, is basically to live as a sovereign man, meaning I will not be manipulated. I'm no longer fooled. I will no longer be in shame or in guilt or bow down or kowtow or put the pussy on the pedestal. I'm going, to, I'm going to treat things in this rational way. That's why Rollo calls his book The Rational Male. It's, mm. not, the, it's not the angry man, <laughs> the angry male, or the, <laughs> you know, the reactive man, or not even the MGTOW man. He's, he's not for MGTOW. Uh, it's about being rational. Now that you can see, okay, calm down, and here's how you can go about it. You know. what, what do, you do, do you think about the men going their own 
way movement, the MGTOW movement as well? Well, first, I think it has its roots in something very primordial and very deep and very necessary. And it goes back to my original statement about men needing to move away from the world of the mother mm -hmm. and atonement with the father. And if this was happening, if our elders were doing this, and there was a ritual initiation for young men, there'd be no need to, to, to go into a lifestyle of MGTOW because they would have been red-pilled really quickly. Mm. They would have moved away. They would have, that's what initiation is. It's men going their own way. And you know, in this world where there's no safe spaces for men, there's safe spaces for all kinds of retarded <laughs> ideas and emotional people. It's all about emotional people. Right. But our ancestors knew that there needed to be a space for women and there needed to be a space for men and men needed to go their own way they, they and on on a regular basis but at very important intervals in their lives you know i've discovered that every 12 years that a, a male will go through and a person all of us but men in particular and that's who i'm talking to go through a life path initiation and it's usually during these times that there's a crisis you know there's the crisis of being a teenager you know, going from boyhood into adulthood. There's a crisis of the 24-year-old, which is so fascinating because I have so many 24-year-olds that follow me. That's like mm. biggest part of my demographic are 24-year-olds, and I know why now. At 36, I experienced my uh, initiation into the third phase of my life, you know, this next chapter of my life. And at first, it felt like a crisis because I had no context for it because nobody teaches you this shit. I had to go and learn it myself and then put it into context. And now... I can, I can, you know, support people with it. Um, but it's also a sign of the times because we've gone so far in the direction of the over-feminized society, egalitarianism, and it's feminism. It's, 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 it's feminism in all of its guises mm -hmm. uh, that there, there has to be a counterbalancing force and men have have traditionally or i don't I, i'm not traditionally but in this in this new backwards day that we live in uh there's suspect it's suspect for men to get together it's suspect for men to be men all of the traits that are natural aggression for men uh are seen as suspect and so, the so for men to develop their, their true masculine nature and their character uh, is almost seen as uh, a bad thing, toxic in our society. Mm. And so when things get so backwards that what is normal and natural for a man to be, Zeus, that, that strong masculine alpha leadership energy, uh, there's going to be a, there's going to be a backlash or a counterbalance. This is why we have Donald Trump in office. There's no, there's no <laughs> question why Donald Trump was elected because America is, has sorely needed an, a, a father figure, a strong alpha father figure that won't take no for an answer, that's willing to piss people off, that's, that doesn't kowtow or bow down to the feminist agendas. Now, he's not perfect, and I've got my gripes about him, but he is a... Us, again, like MGTOW, a sign of the times that it's time for the mature masculine to make its way back. Right. And I feel like a lot of people are just tired of the politically correct nonsense as well that's been going on in our society. So yeah. let's say someone wants to be more masculine and alpha in today's society, especially when 
uh, everyone is very politically correct, especially when uh, feminists are very hardcore. Even for myself, having a dating business, I've been out a few times and I've been slandered in public because of feminists for what I do, literally teaching guys just to meet women the old fashioned way. And so how does a male move through society in this way so that he can be that alpha masculine guy? You've got to master yourself first. Mm. And it's, it's essential and it's simple, but it's not easy. And so I find that fasting is the most tangible practice that one can get into in order to stop the feminine tendency to constantly be consuming. Mm. That's a big part of the reason why we've been feminized because, femini- because consuming is feminized, is feminist, is feminine. Think about the v- vagina. Vagina consumes. Right. The, the woman is considered a black hole. They're, un- they're insatiable. More. So, you know, they take in. In order to have a, uh, a very profitable system set up, you need people to constantly be consuming. And so one of the most masculine things a man can do is to stop all the goddamn consumption. And the first place to break that addiction to consuming is to food. And this is why all of our religious teachers and all of our masters and all of the gurus always recommended for men to fast. And so once you stop the consuming, you stop being a big vagina. (laughs) So you're moving away from the world of the mother. But because you stop consuming, you then clear up a lot of the cloggedness and the foggy headedness and the addiction that makes you present to receive the pattern of the father. That's why, you know, meditation almost becomes instant once you start fasting. You don't need to do meditation. You start fasting, you're, you're in a meditative state. You'll find out very quickly that you just sit and you stare. And all of a sudden, you start receiving these downloads of consciousness. I'm talking about prolonged fasting. Right. So it is my recommendation uh, that if, you're going to, if you want to initiate yourself, you know, and, in, and the best times to do this is when you recognize that there's a crisis in your life or you have a big decision to make, uh, or you just want to develop that self-mastery, that self-possession, begin fasting, a prolonged fast. And, and how long should these fasts actually last in terms of the actual time duration? Well, I'm coming out with a, a new product in a couple of weeks called the uh, 14-Day Rational Fasting Challenge. And it's, it's a means to get people to break their food addiction. And it's for 14 days. But we start off by ripping the Band-Aid off with a few shorter fasts. And when I say shorter fasts, you know, most, I'm going to say what, in a minute what a short fast means, and most people are going to shit themselves because they, they don't realize just how addicted they are to food. And right. so we start with a 72-hour fast, which is basically three days. You know, go, you know, they have this concept of OMAD, one meal a day. Right. Well, I say you, you, you start off with a nomad. And, you know, if you're really addicted, which is no meal for a day, you and, you know, if you really want to if you want to tiptoe into it, which is okay, also uh, just start with a nomad, go eat dinner the night before and then go the whole day. Don't eat. Go to sleep on your empty stomach the next day, maybe by midday. That way you get a good 40, 40, 42, 36 to 42 hour fast. 
36 hour fast. Um, then you break your fast. No, you did it. I mean, you're, first of all, you're going to have this whole sense of self-esteem that you never had before. Cause you realize, wow, I can do it. But mm. you know, then you quickly begin to recognize that like, bro, there, there are eight year old girls doing this all over the world. They're just in starving countries. It's like, you know, right. not that tough about you and you can absolutely do this. You just don't realize how brainwashed and addicted you are to consumption that you can't get over a little grumpiness and detox that you get from not snacking and eating and having your dessert one night. So stop being a pussy and <laughs> go a night without eating. Right. And uh, often you, you'll find that after the first day, hunger goes away. Hunger is not cumulative. It, that's a, that's a, that's a, hunger is emotional. Remember that hunger, what you're feeling is an emotional response to not getting your baba. So stop being a baby. You don't need your baba and it goes away. And then, so the next day you may find that, Oh, I wasn't so bad. And then it's easier to go another night and to get through the whole 72, you go to, you know, two, three nights. You're by that point, physiologically, you're a completely different person because you've, you've, you've tapped all of your glycogen stores, all of your liver glycogen stores, you're in ketosis, you're thinking differently, you're feeling differently, you've probably dropped a couple pounds already. So the transformation begins. It's already begun. And then if you can push, if you can, if you can be man enough, and this is what the 14 day challenge then does, it builds you up to being able to do, you know, a, 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 a five day plus fast. Uh, that's when you know, I say the return to the father begins to happen. That's when the metaphysical gains start coming in and the clarity of thought. So if you're, you know, I don't know what college to go to, or I don't know if I should take this job or if I should marry this woman. Well, go into a prolonged fast and sit and the answer will be revealed to you. And you can sit as long as you need to for that, for that, emo for that uh, inspiration to hit, for that answer, for that clarity to hit. So the longest fast on record was something like 380 days. And it was wow. done by this guy who was like 400 pounds. So, you know, he had a lot of weight to lose. But the, my point is that you can do it. If you get over the, the fear and the emotion that's associated with it, you'll find that you, all that body fat that you're carrying on your, on your body is food that's been uneaten. And so if you're fat, fast for as long as you can. Mm. And, when, and when you're fasting, are you drinking a lot of water or is yeah. it like a dry fast completely? I, I recommend dry fasting also. Dry fasting, I mean, that, that kicks it in. They say something like three times faster, better. But if you're going to fast, uh, use salted water. Mm. So I mentioned uh, the snake diet before. There's this guy on YouTube, uh, his name's Cole, and, uh, and he recommends putting sodium potassium and magnesium in your water and that's a really good idea so you put a little bit of sea salt some potassium maybe a little bit of magnesium and uh that keeps your electrolytes high you don't want to be drinking so much water that you're pissing clear that's gonna right. that's gonna be really hard for you so you know maybe about this is about a liter and a half maybe about two of these a day maybe less and and that'll keep you keep your electrolytes high and keep you hydrated while you do this water fast Mm. It's interesting you bring up uh, fasting because I think the first enlightened person or the Buddha 
uh, fasted for a few days under the tree and that's where he had all his revelations of, <laughs> mm -hmm. of life and suffering and everything like that. And even yeah. some of the religions, they talk about the seven deadly sins, one of them being overconsumption, especially of food, gluttony. Um, and how, <laughs> how if you have that, you're going to be sinning in your life and you're not going to be able to have a happy life through that. Mm -hmm which is awesome. Cool. So uh, that's pretty much all I wanted to ask of you today. I'm not going to take more of your time. It's been amazing, Elliot, to have you. And uh, I hope everyone who's been listening to this got a ton of value. Um, and they're going to actually take action on it because that's the most important thing. So anyone who's actually listened to this, where can they find out more about you and about fasting and your grounding camp and everything like that? Well, uh, my website's elliothulse.com groundingcamp.com and uh you know you could also check me out on youtube where most people know me from i've got thousands of videos that i've made over the years uh and also instagram where i'm fairly active these days yeah awesome i'm gonna actually tag you in in the video and uh the podcast and even on instagram as well so people can check your stuff out and it was amazing having you brother yeah my pleasure i had a great time thank you appreciate it